This week, LimeTree lenders back off of dip threats, SBP parties look to tweak seed drill marketing process, and confirmation trial begins in Purdue. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm David Zupkis. Julian Boulan will be joining me for the week in review. Also this week, Town reports second quarter earnings, and Tyson seeks to undo pre-petition Easter Day sale. We will be taking a brief summer recess this week from our deep dive segment, but we'll be back next week with a regularly scheduled premium content. It's Friday, August 13th. At Wednesday's continued hearing to consider the Lime Tree Bay Refining Debtors' proposed dip financing and bidding procedures motions, Judge David Jones approved the bid procedures as proposed and the third interim dip order. Wednesday's hearing took a more positive bent than proceedings on Monday, which were adjourned after the dip lenders took the position that they would advance only $10 million of funding on a full priming basis instead of the full $25 million potentially available under the proposed dip facility. Various case parties had expressed surprise at the dip lenders' position, and the court floated the possibility that the interim dip order could be set aside for fraud. The dip issues that derailed Monday's hearing were ultimately resolved, with the lenders backing off on their threat of scaling back the total amount of dip funding. All other outstanding dip objections were also resolved, with the exception of the terminal entity's objection, which Judge Jones resolved after the hearing. Judge Jones also approved an order appointing Judge Marvin Isger to mediate health and safety issues related to class actions that are the subject of the debtor's contested motion to extend the automatic stay to non-debtor defendants in the actions. In C-Drill, on Wednesday, the SVP parties proposed what they called modest improvements to C-Drill's marketing process for the NADL debtor's assets. If the proposed changes are adopted, the SVP parties say that this would resolve their motion for standing to run a marketing and sale process for the NADL assets and maintain that the changes to the marketing process would be fully consistent with the terms of the plant support agreement. The debtors have not accepted the proposal for changes to the marketing process, but the SVP parties say they are hopeful that the debtors will change their mind and, if not, that the court will impose them. The SVP parties are asking, among other things, that the debtors include permission for all existing bidders and any other qualified bidder or group of bidders determined by the debtors in consultation with their lenders to undertake due diligence on the debtors' proposed DS requiring the debtors to engage with all bidders to solicit highest and best bids and publish to all lenders whether or not they are signatories to the PSA, all bids received prior to the approval of the DS. The SVP parties say that it's necessary to make changes to the marketing process because while the debtors have put in place a structure to allow for a market check for the NADL assets, this is not the same as a robust marketing process and argue that the debtors have structured the process in a way that effectively prevents the market check from serving its intended purpose. On Thursday, Talon Energy disclosed on its second quarter earnings call that it had received a variety of liability management proposals, which it, along with the board of directors, is evaluating as it continues to seek capital for its various ESG initiatives, including the additional capital required for its crypto mining joint venture, Nautilus. On August 3rd, Talon Energy and partner TerraWolf Inc. announced the establishment of Nautilus CryptoMine, a JV designed to develop up to 300 megawatts of Bitcoin mining capacity. Talon anticipates investing approximately $175 to $200 million of cash contributions in the JV, funded from current liquidity and from third-party debt and equity sources, and will own 50% of the JV. Talon reported $392 million in capacity and energy revenue in the quarter, up from $367 million in the second quarter of 2020. Operating revenue totaled negative $40 million, driven by $432 million in unrealized losses on derivative instruments. The company reported realized second quarter gross energy margin of $224 million and adjusted EBITDA of $51 million. 
adjusted EBITDA in the second quarter of 2020 totaled $73 million. The company said the decline in adjusted EBITDA was driven by a $34 million year-over-year decrease in realized energy margin, an $8 million increase in O&M expense, and $2 million in additional other expenses, offset by a $22 million gain from a year-over-year increase in capacity revenue. With respect to the decrease in energy margin, management noted that, despite lower commodity pricing and capacity rates, it was able to generate better energy margins in the second quarter of last year because of hedges in place in 2020. On the earnings call, management reiterated that it seeks $600 to $800 million of equity capital to fund its growth initiatives. Management said the company expects to make a final decision on the $150 million needed for the Montour decarbonization project this year. Cumulus Coin has begun the process of raising the $150 to $200 million needed for the crypto mining project, while the company has engaged DH Capital to raise $250 to $300 million needed for the Susquehanna Data Center project. Management said discussions are ongoing and that it has received proposals from both equity and debt investors. Purdue Farmers' confirmation hearing on its seventh amended plan commenced Thursday with testimony from the debtor's witnesses who feel the questions on the settlement with the Sackler family embedded in the plan. In particular, the U.S. trustee and several states who did not support the plan pressed the witnesses on the non-consensual third-party release, which would immunize the Sacklers from a broad range of civil liabilities as part of a complex shareholder settlement. The individuals who took the stand on day one included Purdue CFO John Lone and Chairman of the Purdue Board Special Committee John Dubell. The plan objectors asked Lone and Dubell how they made the decision to support the shareholder settlement, with Dubell repeatedly defending the settlement and plan as fair and equitable. Dubell said that the special committee received a constant flow of information from its advisors, including presentations from the Raymond Sackler and Mortimer Sackler families, setting out their defenses to claims. Dubell remarked that it was pretty obvious that the Sackler's defense presentations were pretty one-sided, and we gave it the consideration it deserved. Benjamin Higgins for the UST press loan on the breadth of the shareholder releases and whether the average opioid victim would be able to make sense of them based on publicly available information. Higgins asked if Loan himself would be able to identify all the entities included in the shareholder release parties or all the assets and entities owned by the shareholder release parties, with Loan responding in the negative. Loan said that he would not expect the average opioid victim to be able to do so either. The confirmation hearing resumes on August 13th and is scheduled to run into next week. In the Easter Day Chapter 11 cases, Tyson Fresh Meats, Inc. filed a motion on Monday seeking an order granting it derivative standing to prosecute fraudulent transfer claims arising from Easter Day Ranch's pre-petition sale of a cattle feeding facility, commonly known as the North Lot, to Agribeef for $16 million. Tyson asserts that, prior to the sale, the North Lot was Ranch's largest unencumbered asset. The debtor's plan of liquidation and disclosure statement estimate that out of approximately $248 million in general unsecured claims at ranches, $232 million relates to claims asserted by Tyson. Tyson claims that ranches engineered a surreptitious sale of the North Lot on the eve of bankruptcy without soliciting a higher or better offer from Tyson or otherwise properly marketing the asset, and that as a result, ranches failed to obtain reasonably equivalent value for the asset. Tyson claims it offered and remains willing to buy the property for $25 million, a roughly 56% premium to Agribeef's purchase price. Tyson further alleges that following the sale to Agribeef, ranches distributed 80% of the proceeds to insiders, affiliates, and professionals, thereby hindering, delaying, and defrauding creditors. Tyson says that ranches refuses to initiate an action against Agribeef to avoid the sale on the basis of a post hoc appraisal by the debtor valuing the North Lot at $9 million. Tyson speculates that Ranch's refusal to investigate the sale is tainted by conflict, 
and alleges that the true reason behind the lack of interest in investigating the sale is because Ranch's financial advisory firm, including the co-CROs and the debtor's current lead bankruptcy counsel, were involved in the pre-petition sale to Agribeef and that they each received $600,000 of the North Lot sale proceeds as a retainer or payment for accrued fees. Tyson also says that it approached the ranch's official committee of unsecured creditors two months ago regarding taking potential action in connection with the North Lot sale, but that the ranch's UCC is apparently still investigating and is not prepared to proceed. No hearing date has been set for Tyson's derivative standing motion. Top red stories this week included Judge Grant's NCL motion to preliminarily enjoin Florida enforcement of vaccine passport ban, Hertz reports Q2 revenue of $1.873 billion, $639 million in adjusted EBITDA, highlights synergies from TripAdvisor, Amex, GBT partnerships, company anticipates IPO by year-end, Gulf Oil working with Latham & Watkins as legal advisor as December ABL refinancing looms. New York AG points to new smoking gun email belatedly produced by Endo, presses for immediate default liability judgment for discovery sanctions. Now here's Jim from Houston with the week ahead. Well, good morning all and welcome to the dog days of summer. Earnings are over for the most part. The hearing schedule is relatively light, so it's a good time to sit back and ponder your electricity bill as we head into the September shopping holiday. Anyways, Monday, August 16th, hearings in Malincrote and Lime Tree Bay. Tuesday, confirmation hearing. It continues in Purdue Pharma. Wednesday, August 18th, more of the same, the confirmation in Purdue scheduled to continue, along with hearings in Avianca and Intelsat. Thursday, August 19th, if you're so inclined, there's a break from the court action besides the Purdue confirmation hearing, but there are earnings from Petco, Macy's, and L Brands. And Friday, August 20th, we have Purdue Pharma confirmation once again on the calendar, and that is all she wrote. Thanks, folks. Enjoy your weekend, and back to y'all in New York. Thank you again for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the Reorg.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Hope your ha- families are healthy and safe on this Friday the 13th. Have a great weekend and see you next Sunday.